Hey, writers, join our first draft weekly writers club. We meet every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern time. For more information, go to writingclassradio.com and click on the classes tab. I'm Andrea Askowitz, and this is Writing Class Radio. You'll hear true personal stories and learn a little bit about how to write your own stories. And I'm Allison Langer. Together, we produce this podcast, which is equal parts heart and art. By heart, we mean the truth in a story. By art, we mean the craft of writing. No matter what's going on in our lives, writing class is where we tell the truth. It's where we work out our shit, shit. (laughs) There's no place in the world like writing class. And we want to bring you in. Today on our show, we're talking about metaphors. Metaphors. What are metaphors? What are metaphors? What's a metaphor? No, no, no. Really, what is a metaphor? Okay, here's the definition of metaphor from dictionary.com. It's a figure of speech in which a term or phrase is applied to something to which it is not literally applicable in order to suggest a resemblance. Okay, now can you interpret the cliff notes, please? <laughs> okay, okay, here, for example, my writing partner is a bear. No, 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 I, I don't like this. Sometimes she has her claws out. Fuck you! Okay, no. So that is a metaphor. That, what kind of metaphor is that? You're it's still not speaking English. A So the thing about a <laughs> metaphor, what it does is it brings all the qualities of a bear onto my writing partner. Oh, Get why it's good? All right, whatever. Um, I still don't get it. Uh, if the rest of you don't get it, it's Andrea's fault. But Come Elizabeth, on. no, no, Everyone no, gets it. Seriously, the story we're bringing you today does a much better job of explaining what a metaphor is. Elizabeth Newton's story, her whole story is shaped around a metaphor, which is really, really cool. Elizabeth's essay first appeared in Motherwell, which is an online magazine that tells all sides of the parenting story. We spoke with the editors of Motherwell. Randy Olin and Lauren Apfel, a badass editing duo. Like us! Yeah. They're cool. They're very, very cool. Um, So cool that Lauren was actually in Scotland calling in, and Randy was in Connecticut. Like, God, don't you love it? International. It was awesome. It was really fun to meet them and to have a chat and find out all about Motherwell and what they look for, uh, get a little behind the scenes. So after Elizabeth's story, we'll take you behind the scenes so you can learn how to submit to Motherwell and hear all about their editing process and uses of metaphor in Elizabeth's story. Back after the break. I'm Allison Langer, and every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern Time, I host First Draft. It's a class, kinda, because you'll get a little bit of instruction, but mostly it's a group where you come together with other writers online, write to a prompt and share what you wrote. It's the only way to get better. Come join me. Check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com or go to patreon.com slash writingclassradio to learn more. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. We're back. You're listening to Writing Class Radio. This is Andrea. And up next is a story from Elizabeth Newdom. (laughs) 
It started one evening, shortly after my 42nd birthday, when I discovered a box of journals hiding behind old clothes in my closet. Pulling open the cardboard flaps, loosened with time, I reached for a notebook with a purple velvet cover. It was from 1998, the year I was 25. I cracked open the spine, and there on the first page in familiar scrawl was a Joan Didion quote. It's distinctly possible to stay too long at the fair. I sank to the closet floor into a puddle of blue skirt, marveling at how aptly these words both summed up my 20s and captured the predicament of my current midlife crisis. At 25, I had been living in Seattle for two years after moving out west without a cell phone or a bank account. I had my first real job at a consulting firm and lived in an apartment in Lower Queen Anne. I often frequented the Mecca, the neighborhood greasy spoon, with pen and notebook in hand. The little bit of money I had left after bills were paid, I spent on books and overpriced coffee. I was richer than I'd ever been, meaning I no longer had to choose between cigarettes or bounty. It was also the first time I noticed men actually paid attention to me, and I became aware I was pretty. My hair grew long. I wore short dresses with boots, red lipstick, and vintage leather jackets. I was a beehive full of honey, and I finally understood why women read magazines like Cosmopolitan and Vogue, envisioning every sidewalk as a runway. But I was more than a lovely reflection in store windows. I was also a poet, a guitar player, a hiker, and a yogi. In some ways, I had become the girl I had always envied in college. You know the one. The girl who skipped awkward and self-deprecating on the checklist of early womanhood. The one who was editor-in-chief of everything, and whose poems were published in the college literary magazine. She was a champion surfer and hiked the Appalachian Trail. She could coil her hair perfectly into a tidy little bun with only a pencil. By 25, I had reached pencil bun status. And now at 46, I'm in the prime of my life, yet I'm pining for 25-year-old me like a lost love, chasing her around the carousel, at a time when I'm supposed to be aging gracefully, embracing my graying hair and turkey neck, and all that other David Copperfield kind of crap, as Holden Caulfield would say. Most days, I feel more like Jean Holloway. 40-something-year-old protagonist of the television series Gypsy, a short-lived drama about a psychotic female therapist who takes on the lives of her clients. There's a scene where Jean, played by actress Naomi Watts, walks into a nightclub to the tune of a hip indie rock song. She is sexy, she is vibrant, and as she struts in, the viewer hears the proverbial record scratch, while young men's heads turn to notice her in slow motion. Only, this is the fantasy version. Then we have the replay, the real version. The scene opens again, and Jean walks into the same club. But not one of the gorgeous young men looks up from his beer. She's just an older woman walking into a bar, out of place and time, a picture postcard of any woman's midlife crisis. At 46, I'm grieving the death of my pretty girl image, the one I've held in my pocket since age 25. More simply, I'm grieving the death of my youth. I'm grieving the ability to throw on a leather jacket topped off with cherry red lipstick without looking like an imposter. I'm grieving the ability to eat a burger with an actual bun and toppings. I'm grieving the endless hours I used to spend ducking into one local bookstore after another. I'm grieving the ease with which I could stay up until 1am and still make it to work on time, looking like a rock star. 
Family obligations, strict bedtimes, and gravity are the new hallmarks of my current age. But as any diver hunting for sunken treasure knows, lipstick and hamburgers without buns merely skim the surface. They aren't what's entombed on the bottom of the deep. What's in there is something I've been too ashamed to admit. I'm a happily married woman on the youthful end of the grown-ups who came of age watching The Breakfast Club. I have a child who is bright and kind. I have a quaint yellow house in an idyllic suburban neighborhood. I'm living the dream as a college professor and writer. My picket fence couldn't be wider. And yet, I'm perched on top of a life raft, watching the Titanic of my youth sink, carrying chances not taken out of fear or indecision, jobs not accepted, friendships lost, adventures missed, feelings unsaid, and lips unkissed. Moments that circle through my mind on an endless loop, keeping me frozen in place. There I am, standing on a porch in Wilmington, at a cafe in Fremont, at a nightclub on Market Street, and at a performance of Shakespeare in the Park. Moments that pass as quickly as they came. Moments that we write about in journals and then forget until we go digging through old boxes in our 40s, wondering why we couldn't act. But... The light is fading now, and my little yellow house awaits, with its plume of chimney smoke, and my adoring family inside. It's time to put down the torch for my former self and light Jean's way back home. Cue new music for the bar. It's time to leave the painted ponies who have ceased their bobbing, to move along with the wind that carries the crushed cups and torn tickets. It's time, as Didion said, to leave the fair. I, I just really, uh, the second I read this story, I was so excited just because it really hit home. It hit so many nerves for me. So that's what I wanted to talk about about this story. I think that what we talk about on this podcast sometimes is how it doesn't matter if you've experienced the thing the story is about. A good story resonates with anyone, whether or not the reader or listener has had that experience. But this story is really your experience. She really hit on your experience, didn't she? Well, I don't have a white picket fence and a perfect family and all that kind of stuff, but I got what I wanted, which was my family. Okay, so I do have that, and I do have a home. It's not like what I thought it was going to be. So, yes, I have everything I want, and there are so many times I look back with nostalgia and I think, oh, kind of I go back down that road of like being cute, being popular, you know. Like, you were that 25-year-old yeah. woman who walked into a bar, the music stopped in your mind, right? Yeah. The yeah. music stopped, all the men stared, and you just sauntered in, right? That was you. <laughs> yeah, that day's and, over. <laughs> way. And now you don't think you're that. No. You don't think so anymore. And that's what the story was about. Yeah. It's, it's just losing that feeling of youth. I loved it. I okay, so so let's let's go back to the metaphor thing real quick. Yeah. She did do a really interesting thing, which is she turned her whole story into a metaphor. And at the end of the story, we get that she needs to leave the fair, which means she needs to say goodbye to youth. She needs to say goodbye to the her pretty self and just accept who she is now. Yeah. Well done. Hmm. The thing is, is that um for me, what this story was trying to say is that that fair has left, right? Yep. There's a new fair. And I think that we should do a campaign for a new fair. And we just have to get on board with the new fair, right? I'm down with the new fair. Yeah. yeah. So I think I don't care 
if the pencil bun people out there think my pencil bun is not as cute as their pencil bun. The, the point is, is that I may not be as cute. I may not be what people think I am, but you know I'm what? happy. Here's the thing that I think that you that happens to you, and this is not about the story necessarily, but you have this thinking that other people have a thought about you. But really, all that matters is your thought about you. Of course. And you think by 51, we get that already. And I think that's what she was trying to say. Like, it's really time to stop worrying about people. I don't and think she- she's worrying about people. She's, she's saying... Elizabeth, step away from the fair. That's yeah. what I think she's saying. Whether or not other people are judging her. Well, that's your interpretation. Yeah, that's how I see it. And I see it that it's a whole bunch of things. Because why else would she want pencil bun status if she didn't care about fitting in with the pencil bun people of the world? Hmm. So I think there's okay. many ways to see this. And that is a beautiful thing about metaphors. I love being able to say, what did you see in this story? What did I see in this story? And, and have a conversation. Because after all, isn't aren't stories meant to create a conversation? Yes. Yes. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. All right. Up next is our conversation with Lauren Apfel and Randy Olin, the editors of Motherwell. We asked them to talk about their tag team approach to editing, what grabbed them about Elizabeth's story, and to talk about the use of metaphors. We got Motherwell on the phone. Hi, guys. Hi, guys. Thank you for having us. Thank you guys for joining us. Motherwell is Randy Olin and Lauren Apfel. Let's start by just, I mean, I just want to know the history of your site and how you guys got got going. Motherwell is three years old, just as of last week, actually. So that's exciting for us. Happy birthday. And thank you so much. We're we're a toddler now, a full-fledged toddler. So we worked together at Brainchild originally, and that's how we met. And we shared a love of the parenting essay, um, and I think of the literary parenting essay in particular. And we were just really excited when we sort of branched out on our own to create a space that was a home to everything we loved about parenting writing, which is this thoughtful, well-written, creative, well-constructed parenting essays that really delved deep into that experience and sort of went below the surface and that, you know, offered a kind of universal take on what parenting was, even as it looked at very individual slices of people's parenting lives. Very cool. We love parenting and writing. Well, we love parenting. We love parenting stories. No, no, no. I'm waiting to have my kids old and off to college. The parenting part is the sucky part. So, but it does well, make for Randy, great Randy's stories. Right. So that's the place yeah. that I'm in. And what's good with um, Lauren and myself is we we have kids that run from age eight, right? The twins are eight. And mm-hmm. my my kids go up to 21. I'm an empty nester, a newly empty nester. So we really run the full range of parenting stages. So can you tell us how... Um, how what you're looking for in a story... And if there are any obvious, re- like red flags that that send a story to uh, rejection pile immediately, I mean, the first thing to say about it is that we read, we both read all of our submissions, and everything comes through submittable, and we have a very strong instinct, I would say, and usually it's it's an alignment, which is really good. So it's harder to say what is right about a story. It's kind of a little bit we know it when we see it. Um, I would say the only if I had to name one red flag for us, it's probably word count. Something that will immediately be out of our purview is something that's either just too long 
you know, we tend to cap at around 1500 words. We really like to have it in our sweet spot, which is usually about between 750 words and 1500 words. It has to be well crafted and it has to touch on something, um, you know, specific, as I was saying earlier, specific, but universal. We like, we like to have a kind of nuanced, unique look at something, but it has to speak to parents sort of everywhere, at least on some level. But we would just say we love hearing different voices. We love a kind of full spectrum of perspectives. And I think we, you know, we take that very seriously, trying to give, um, to give voice to, you know, to a cross section of, of all different kinds of parents going through all different walks of life. And I would add to that just with respect to the subject matter and the topics, we cover a range of topics from pregnancy loss to gender issues to empowerment. Um, this is a perfect example of a piece that wasn't specifically about parenting per se, but you know, it grabbed our attention. So we just would encourage men, women, first-time parents, women who are experiencing fertility issues, just all different um, ages and ranges of topics. We, we welcome them all, actually. And we do like to push boundaries. You know, we like to push boundaries to, you know, expose the nerves. Yeah, I was going to say, sometimes the best pieces are those that make you wince just a little bit. submissions do you guys get every month you know really it it depends i mean we could we could get 10 to 15 a day it could be more um i think it really ebbs and flows depending on i guess people and and their writing productivity but that's pretty much our average but it's Um, we've been really lucky it's been pretty organic and it's been a very healthy flow of submissions from the beginning um possibly uh word of mouth and just we've worked with so many writers over the years um, from Brainchild and now from Motherwell. Um, we've published hundreds of essays, and I just think we have a very strong community of writers and readers, so a lot of it is word of mouth. Like Lauren said, we both read every single piece that comes in. Um, before we talk about Elizabeth Newdom's story, I wanted to ask you guys about your what looks like your tag team editing. Yeah. And um, because we're a tag team, so I'm I'm really interested in how you do that. So both of you read every submission, and then once you choose a submission, how does the edit editing process work? Yes, yeah, so we love a good tag team, don't we? I mean, two is better than one, right? I think the unique aspects of Motherwell um, is that we have your every piece is going to get both of our eyes on it and both of our perspectives. And we love that. And I think our re- our writers and readers benefit from that. So basically, when a piece comes in through Submittable, we both will read it and we agree always together whether to accept it or not. At that stage, it's kind of funny. I would say it's pretty obvious who it's going to go to. We'll say, well, this is a Randy piece. This is a Lauren piece. And maybe the broad line difference is if it's more perspective oriented, it might go to me. And if it's more literary, it might go to Randy. We've been doing this for so long that I think we just sort of have this rhythm and groove um, and we both have different strengths. And so and sometimes we we don't agree, um, but ultimately it's always about what sounds right. What, you know, of course, always keeping the voice of the writer intact. Um, Lauren, would you agree that it's sort of, I you know, we don't always we don't always, you know, edit with the same eye. And that's sort of the benefit to the writer is that we're coming with different 
um, skill sets and, and vantage points. It always comes together. Yeah, I definitely agree with it. It's actually really interesting to think about. I would say there's always a slight deferral to the person who's been communicating directly with the writer because they've been in it for a while. They might have gone through two or three rounds of editing. So that by the time the second one of us comes in, there'll often be a communication of, I want this degree of editing, you know, because you know what it's like when you're editing a piece and you might've been in the trenches with somebody, you get far enough along, you don't want somebody to just pull the rug out and be like, well, I can't stand paragraph three. And you're like, well, we worked for three weeks on paragraph three. So let me tell you, it's stand. Yeah, totally so it makes similar. sense. So let's talk about um, Elizabeth Newdom's story for a second. Did it come in f- written or was it a pitch? We don't accept pieces unless they're submitted in full. And I guess if a piece is timely, uh, it has to be very timely, we encourage people to send us their stories via email at our Motherwell address. But otherwise, all of our pieces come through submittable, and hers was one of them. What grabbed you about it? What was the, ah, yes, we want this story. Well, interestingly enough, Lauren and I were actually just talking about this. Um, you know, it's not, we're, we're a site that publishes about the different angles of parenting and slices of the parenting experience. And this particular piece was not exactly uh, that sort of piece um, because it's not specifically about parenting, yet at the same time, it was so well written and it was an innovative approach to a familiar topic and sort of this whole idea of midlife and... Um, what comes up for people across the board was very striking and really resonated for us both. The writing was lovely. We've worked with Elizabeth before, and it was sort of like, wow, this is really a lovely, wonderful piece. are really evocative and can be very effective. So the trick with metaphors is making sure they're not too heavy-handed and getting just, you know, the right balance. And that is definitely something we worked on this piece, especially because there were two metaphors really running through it. Um, You had the metaphor of the fair, and then you had the metaphor of the sinking ship. And I think Randy and I definitely discussed that, and we definitely tried to get the right balance and the right amount of, you know, the references. And so you didn't feel like it was overwhelming. And I know Randy did work with Elizabeth on that aspect um, about sort of maybe um, toning that, toning it down a little bit, but there was a lot going on in the piece. And sometimes it just does work, even if you're maybe looking at it and saying, wow, this is like, you know, you're mixing your metaphors or what's going on here. But I think overall, they got it to a place where you could read through smoothly and you could sort of identify with both of those things. You had the bobbing carousel, but then you also had the sinking Titanic. And in different places, maybe one metaphor was going to speak to one reader, one maybe one metaphor was going to speak to another reader. So um, I think ultimately it worked, but I think they did take a lot of care to sort of get the balance right as best they could. I, I, what, do you, what do you think Leave the Fair means? Well, I think one of the beauties, I mean, first of all, Joan Didion is brilliant, so that's, that goes without saying. I think one of the beauties of the fair is that it can be different things to different people. It's anything you're sort of like clinging on to and leaving behind, and it works beautifully with the concept of, of somebody's past or somebody's youth. 
Um, but I imagine other people might have different interpretations. Maybe it was beauty. Maybe you thought it was beauty. I thought it was a couple things. Yeah. It's like she was so concerned, you know, with how she, you know, trying to fit in with the popular crowd at one point, and then she's trying, you know, it's just, it's all of that. It's like all those things that it doesn't, well, we're in our 50s, early 50s, and so it's just like mini skirts, like, no, no, no. I, no, those are done. Shorts for me, done. Like, I just, I, I don't know. I, for, time to leave that fair. So I think that's what happens as we get older. And so that's why I loved it. The language of the piece, the whole, that whole section about grieving, you know, the leather jacket with the cherry red <laughs> lipstick, um, you know, the whole eating the burger with the bun. I mean, so much of it, the, the examples she used just were so spot on. I agree. Oh, those little details killed me. That bun, the bun was excellent. Oh my God. Yeah, really good. We're always trying to think of different ways to describe things. And um, that was so expertly done, really. The hair bun or the bun, or the bun of the burger bun? Well, both, 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 both. Maybe both. All buns. Yeah, all buns. All buns are the piece piece we love. Exactly. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 Thank you. It. Thanks for that, um, yeah, Wonderful. that explanation. If you're interested in submitting to Motherwell, they're looking for all things parenting and anything that skims the edge of motherhood. Check out their website, motherwell.com, for guidelines. Thank you for listening. And thank you, Elizabeth Newdom, for sharing your story. And Lauren and Randy for the intel. Motherwell. Check them out. Writing Class Radio is produced by Virginia Laura, Andrea Askwitz, and me, Allison Langer. Theme music by Justina Chandler. Additional music by Ari Herstand and Poddington Bear. Writing Class Radio is sponsored by the Launchpad at the University of Miami. There's more writing class on our website, writingclassradio.com, including video classes, stories to study, and editing resources. Contact us at info at writingclassradio.com. If you love this show and enjoy all the extras on our website, hit the support us button. A new episode will drop every other Wednesday. So look for us. There's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our stories. Everyone has a story. What's yours? Come on a journey like no other where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com.